Welcome to Take Heart, where our goal is to offer encouragement and give hope and insight so you can flourish in your journey as a special needs mom. As we explore monthly themes and share inspiring stories and practical tips, our desire is for you to feel connected and encouraged. Hi, this is Sarah Klein, and I have a special guest today. My guest is Dr. Lynn Bob. Hi, Lynn. It is such a pleasure to have you here with us today. Hey, Sarah. Really happy to be with you. Lynn Bob was a military kid who lived in 12 houses in her first 15 years. She became a committed Christian at 19. She earned a Master of Divinity degree from Fuller Theological Seminary in her 30s and a PhD in Communication from University of Washington in her 50s. She has served as an associate pastor in a Presbyterian church and as a lecturer in pastoral theology. She lives in Seattle with her husband, only nine blocks from her beloved nine-year-old granddaughter. She has written numerous Christian books and novels. Lynn blogs weekly about prayer at lynnbob.com. That is L-Y-N-N-E-B-A-A-B.com. Her latest book is Two Hands, Grief and Gratitude and the Christian Life. Her best-selling book is Sabbath Keeping, Finding Freedom and the Rhythms of Rest now available as an audiobook as well as paperback and Kindle. She has also written several Bible studies, including Prayer of the Old Testament and Prayers of the New Testament. You and I met a year ago whenever I was getting my master's in ministry leadership degree, and you are an adjunct professor of mine at Hope International University in California, and I believe that you are still there, correct? Yep. All right. So I have actually been an avid blog reader ever since. And I just wanted to mention right now to all of our le- our listeners that we are going to have links to everything in our show notes. So I am going to be dropping names of so much. You have, you are one busy woman. And so you have written so, so many wonderful things and are involved in so many things. So we're going to have notes to everything in the show notes. So make sure to check that out. Um, And so I just wanted to make sure to mention that up front and I'll mention it again later, but I want to talk about your, the book that we just mentioned earlier, your latest book, The Two Hands, Grief and Gratitude in the Christian Life. This book was so extremely impactful to me. And I actually read a different one of yours, which I loved called Joy Together, the Spiritual Practices for Your Congregation. And I highly recommend that book as well. Uh, However, I just, I believe that our listeners would greatly benefit from your book, The Two Hands. And there's a quote that inspired this book. So it was um, 2019 in about September. So all of us now orient our lives to the events of February and March 2020, right? The beginning of the pandemic. So this was about six months before the pandemic. I was reading something. I don't know where I found this quotation. That's the joke is later I I, I looked it up in the original form, but I don't know how I first heard about it. But the guy writing it is a psychotherapist in California, Francis Weller, and he's written quite a bit about grief. That's one of his topics, okay? So I'm going to read you the first sentence of the quotation, and then as we go along, maybe I'll read the rest of it. But here he goes. The work of the mature person is to carry grief in one hand and gratitude in the other and to be stretched large by them. So to be stretched by both grief and gratitude. Now, the time that I read this quotation, my husband and I had this long-standing gratitude practice. So he and I pray together once a week, kind of for half an hour, 45 minutes. And 
for a long, long time, I mean, 30 years or so, we've been starting that prayer time with thankfulness prayers. And these thankfulness prayers has, have transformed me. And, you know, there's that book of 10,000 gifts, or is it 8,000 gifts, whichever it is, that book on thankfulness and People are encouraged to make thankfulness lists and use post-it notes to write thankfulness things down. And so I've really tried to do that, but I viewed everything as kind of black and white. So, you know, either I'm thankful or I'm sad, you know, and thankfulness should take away the sadness. And this quotation helped me to see, oh, oh, wrong paradigm. The paradigm is to hold thankfulness in one hand and grief in the other. And you can imagine that during the pandemic, this was the single most helpful thing. I mean, I just could not get over how helpful it was in the pandemic because, you know, our lives were upended and I was so sad. And yet in the midst of it, there were all these things to be thankful for. And without this quotation, I would have gone into the pandemic thinking, well, thankfulness should take away the sadness. But this way, it's like, okay, both are true. And um, I'm, as a parent um, and grandparent, this is hugely helpful. As a wife, this is helpful. As a person who does a lot of writing and ministry and who has friends who have needs, this is helpful. Anyway, it's just been helpful to me in so many ways. Yes. And in your book, you had a quote that just really stood out to me. Yeah. So it's interesting to think about what it looks like to hold them in two hands, because in the Psalms, they are not actually held simultaneously in two hands. So if you imagine grief in one side, gratitude on the other side, in the Psalms, it's as if one hand is heavier for a while, and then the other hand is heavier for a while, and then back to the other hand, and then back to the other hand. There's a sense in the Psalms that we go back and forth, we toggle back and forth between grief and gratitude. And that seems to be very common in my life too, back and forth, back and forth. But there really are moments when it's simultaneous, where you know you think of the example of maybe your child is in the hospital. And you've got this amazing nurse who just is just so loving and kind and caring to your child. And you are so worried and you are so sick of having been in the hospital numerous times. And you are so sad that your kid has to deal with this and that you have to deal with this. And in that instance, kind of like imagining yourself in the hospital room One hand has grief in it and one hand has gratitude. And while you're holding them there, oh my gosh, look who appears, a friend or family member who's bringing you a balloon or some flowers or some cookies. That one more thing to be grateful for, but the sadness doesn't go away. And so in that instance, you've got the two in, in the two hands at the same time. So it's kind of useful, I think, to think about what does this look like? Is it back and forth? Yeah, sometimes. Is it both in the two hands at the same time? Yeah, sometimes. And you do talk about the Psalms in this book too, which that's one of my favorite parts of the book too, is in the Psalms, it's, it's an invitation you say in the, in the book that it's an invitation to bring all of our emotions to go into God's presence and to bring them honestly to him. And that is one of the things that I feel that I felt lacking growing up, um, that I did not feel that I was invited to do that honestly. Not that, not that people in my life 
weren't inviting me to do that. I was not picking up that invitation, maybe. Um, I just out of guilt or whatever. Um, so it's not that I'm blaming anybody, but it's just you feel you have to put maybe that quote unquote good Christian girl or that good Christian mentality. And the Psalms, the way, and I love the way that you put that in there. And it's, you had mentioned, you called it a rhythmical life moving back and forth between those emotions. You, you mentioned the Psalms quite a bit in here, and that is um, that it's a perfect model, model for feeling and talking about those emotions. Yeah, I'm with you completely on board with the need to be a good Christian girl. Although in my childhood, we went to church and then we didn't talk about God at home at all. Well, what my mother talked about was optimism. My mother is the queen of optimism. And so you do not be sad. You do not express anger. You do not express any emotion that might be construed to be negative. You just have a positive, upbeat view of life. And so that's part of where I got this idea that these are opposites. You know, you're either thankful or sad and, you know, you can't be both. And yeah, so when I became a Christian or a committed Christian, as I say, at 19, um, I just could not get over how rich the Psalms were. Mm. I could not get over how many emotions are in there and how, as, as you said, God invites us to bring them to God over and over and over. And, and so that was kind of like a invitation, my first invitation to begin to feel some of those emotions we label as negative. And, and like you, like you said too, the lessons from our childhood from and our families of origin, they, they they carry with us. And some of those are, they can be good and bad. And I think you gave some examples in the book that were um, wonderful, that helped orient that in a way that um, was very moving as well. And I it was in your chapter, chapter five, that overcoming your inner voices that deny both the grief and the gratitude, because you can deny gratitude as well. Absolutely. So we can deny gratitude by falling into the consumer culture. The consumer culture tells us we need more. We need more possessions. We need better behaved kids. We need whatever. And so, yeah, we can deny gratitude. I think as a Christian right now, it's harder to deny gratitude because there's so many voices out there telling us to practice Mm -hmm. thankfulness. Um, I mean, we can still deny it. Absolutely. I think it's much easier to deny the sad and angry voices. And, you know, I want to emphasize that it's not just our family of origins, the American culture, and in fact, the culture of the whole Western world. Um, you, You know, you read in my bio, we lived in New Zealand for 10 years. And oh, yes, New Zealand has this optimism thing, just like Americans. Um, you know, we're supposed to be optimistic. We're supposed to put on a bright face. We're supposed to look at the best. And, you know, there's even a sense that um, you won't heal from uh, diseases unless you're optimistic. There's that whole thing about fighting cancer through optimism, fighting the word fighting Mm -hmm. associated with optimism. And so I just want to say we all, I believe every single adult now living in the Western world needs to grow in acknowledging the wide range of emotions that human beings feel. And these include the emotions that we label as negative. I I don't know how else to describe them. I keep saying sadness and anger, but there's other ones too. But we have 
least I have viewed them as negative for so much of my life that it's really important for me to sit with them, take a deep breath. Because one of the questions we have to ask, Sarah, is what does grief actually look like? So we hold grief in the one hand. There's a enormous body of literature out there on how to grieve and what grief looks grief looks like. We just, you know, have to be willing to access some of that. But one of the things that it looks like is just sitting with sadness, breathing, 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 and then letting it go if it's ready to go. I mean, part of our fear of sadness is that we think it's going to last forever. We think that once we feel sadness, we're falling into this huge pool that we can't climb out of. You know, we're going to fall into the sadness pool and we're going to be there the rest of our lives and it's going to be awful and everybody's going to judge us because we're not being optimistic and upbeat and thankful and we're going to be in this darkness, dark, dark pool. We're going to be there forever, you know, but the thing (laughs) is emotions come and go. And that's one of the other things that we have to learn is emotions come and go. Okay, I'm sad right now. Okay, breathe, 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 feel the sadness. Oh, huh. I'm ready to let the sadness go for a minute and talk to that nice nurse who just walked back into the hospital room. So, you know, that kind of sense of we have a lot of growing to do in um, living with, sitting with emotions, bringing them into God's presence and then letting them go for a while. And you talk about that in your book, too, about that you you became very comfortable or you started you you had to learn about your body about what that looked like physically in your body that you realized anger became part of that grief, that you could feel that rising up in you, um, how that felt in your body. And you can only really, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's see for me, I have to feel once I really lean into my emotions, that's only whenever I began to heal with whenever I started to really put them all out there. And it was, it is hard. You feel like, I mean, if I'm going to put it all out here, am I ever going to come off the brink? <laughs> like if right. you feel like you're white knuckling on the, the edge of that cliff, am I going to be able to pull myself back up? But what I get from your book is you're not over the cliff. You're actually in God's hands. And that's the difference mm-hmm. for me. That's beautiful, Sarah. I don't think I wrote those words. I'm really glad you got no. that idea out of the book <laughs> because I think that's beautiful. Really beautiful. We feel like we're hanging on the edge of a cliff or in my metaphor, we feel like we're going to dive into this dark pool that we're never going to come Mm -hmm. out of. But in reality, we're in God's hands. But I love what you said about the physical body because yeah, I'm, I have identified where anger is in my body. I can feel it in my chest. I can feel it in my throat, but you know, I'm only just beginning to learn where sadness is in my body. And, you know, Christians are so largely disembodied And one of the things that seems really important to me in this journey of being honest about emotions is using our bodies, whether that's walking or dancing or bicycling or just moving around the house with a little bit of zip in our step, but kind of learning to grow back in touch with our physical bodies. Because again, in the same way that the Western world and the Christian world kind of says, be happy, don't be sad. I think a lot of our Christian churches are saying, you know, your body doesn't matter. It's your soul. It's your spirit. That's where the real things happen. But we really are physical beings. God made these bodies. And how can 
how can our bodies help to teach us how to feel some of these sad emotions? Right. You also talked about how Jesus never apologized for his tears. He never indicated that sadness shouldn't be expressed. Those emotions should be expressed. I think that's astonishing that he never Mm -hmm. apologized. So Jesus Christ twice, as you may remember, once Mm -hmm. when he's looking over Jerusalem and um, sees the disobedience and the lack of interest in his own ministry, he cries and says, how I long to gather you together like a under my wings, like a hen gathers her chicks. And then the other time that he cries is at the tomb of Lazarus, when he's there with Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters and the village, and they all cry together. Yeah, he's not the least bit defensive. He's not the least bit apologetic about either of these. It's just very straightforward. And I think if we could put ourselves in the mindset of the Jews of Jesus's time or the Jews of the time when the Psalms were written and sung in community, I think we would find that people cried a whole lot more easily then than they do now. Um, And we've been, many of us, not maybe all, but many of us have been shamed out of crying. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's part of it is the fear of falling into that pit Am I ever going to fall back out? And I think part of it, we hear repeatedly from um, people in our community, I think we fear people will get tired of listening to our issues or to our problems, because what our problems are, are lifetime issues, and it is repetitive. And so it's like, will they get tired of hearing us? And I think you you touched on something like that um, in your book as well, as Sometimes there feels like there's a timeline to grief. And I think yours was in relation to death in the book, but it it actually sparked something. It resonated with me as well that sometimes it feels like, okay, well, we've we've been we know we've been over this for a few months. We're, let, let's move on. It's almost like can, can we move on? And we've often talked about it, at least with my house and w- with some friends in our community as well, as the special needs disability community that our lives kind of make people uncomfortable. <laughs> like, I don't know if they, it, it's, a, it's a very difficult life, but it's a beautiful life, but it makes people uncomfortable. So what, would, what advice would you give to people um, like to help that person grieve in a healthy way that might not have that support? Yeah, I, it's a huge challenge. And the advice giving is just Brutal. My parallel is that my husband has had a chronic lung disease since 2015. And I cannot get over how if someone asks him how he's doing and he mentions anything about his health, the first thing out of their mouth is advice. And I would imagine that a lot of your moms and dads and family members who listen to your podcast and read your book have the same exact experience. So On the one hand, when we're sad and we need support, you know, we've got to develop a community of people who actually will support us. And that's part of what you're providing with your podcast and your book. And I do think that's where support groups of people who have the same situation are so important. But Mm -hmm. I also think that's where prayer is really important because Jesus gives that support consistently without advice giving. 
and with love and care and is present there with us in his way of crying with us, just like he cried over Jerusalem and he cried with Mary and Martha. So one of the things I really wanted to say in this podcast today was um, prayer is my big, big topic these days. I've spoken a lot on prayer. And every time I speak on prayer afterwards, people come up to me. It's almost like a recording. They all say, I don't pray enough. I wish I prayed more. I don't pray enough. I wish I prayed more. And my passion is to help people gain some freedom to enjoy when they do pray. And sure, try creative new ways of praying. Lighten up about prayer, people, and do it the best you can. But to, I think it just feels like a lot of people are limited in their prayers because they feel so much guilt about not praying often enough. So it's like to pray makes me feel guilty because I haven't prayed for a while. And I just want to say Jesus is there waiting, loving you. He's right beside you. He's there. He's been there all the way through. He's been there with you in every setting with your child. He's just there. And so to um, even imagine Jesus beside you and turn to him and just smile without even needing to have words, just a smile um, or a tear, turn to him with a tear. That's something I really wanted to say today, that the, both the grief and the gratitude portions of holding these things in two hands, both of them involve not just the grief, but turning yeah. to Jesus with the grief, not just feeling the gratitude, but turning to Jesus with the gratitude. Gratitude is about being grateful to someone, the person who's brought the balloon to your kid, or Jesus, who lies behind all the good gifts that we have in our lives. Yeah, it's all about turning to Jesus as much as possible. And that's, you know, it's not that we don't need people. We absolutely need people, but we also need prayer, both of those two things. Absolutely. That was one of the most profound things I personally got from your class was prayer. And it has been one of the things that I struggle with the most. And I think I carried that through from your class was just simple ways to pray, that it didn't have to be so complex, that I could just be in the car and just feel him next to me. To anybody who is listening that is a loved one or a friend or a ministry leader of somebody who has disabilities or special needs or who is caring for somebody with disabilities or special needs, and you want to be a better support, um, I'm going to drop a link in the show notes. And it is an article that Lynn wrote, and it is called Grief and Thankfulness, How to Listen. And it is phenomenal. It is just that simple. In addition to praying for praying for us, is to pray for your loved one, to pray for your friend, to pray for those that are in your ministry, how to listen to them, how to ask important questions. Just tell me more about your loved one. The, sometimes we just need to talk about it and to have somebody just to just to listen to us. Um, that we, We've talked about that numerous times and it cannot be stressed enough just to have somebody to listen because our lives can't be fixed. And quite frankly, we know that and we don't want anybody to fix them. So this, there's an article. It is beautiful. Like I said, it's going to be in the show notes. And I think that that is one of the things that we forget how simple it is to be good to other people, 
to be good humans to each other and to model Jesus? How many times he just sat and listened to people? Yeah, well, see, I'm going to disagree with one little thing you said. Okay. I agree with like 99% yeah. of it, but the word yeah. easy, I'm going to disagree with easy. That's true. And I think that's because listening is not, not easy, but at the same time, it's a skill that can be learned. And I think that's something people don't know is that you can work on listening skills. I mean, there's lots and lots of material out there on how to grow as a listener. Listening is a big topic of mine. I wrote a book on it um, just about 10 years ago, exactly. When I did the research for the book, it was fascinating that in um, communication textbooks, you know, that will have a section on listening. They all say listening can be learned. Empathy can be learned. We can learn how to watch for signals in the other person of what they're thinking and feeling. But the biggest challenge in listening is to deal with what's going on in our minds when we listen. Okay, so like, I'll just even give the example of this podcast. Okay, so Sarah, you're talking, you know, on your turn to talk, you talk along a little bit, and my my brain goes, Oh, I could talk about that next time she asked me to talk. And then you talk a little bit more, and my brain goes, Oh, that reminds me of such and such. And then you go on a little bit more, and my I go, Oh, I could I can say something about this. And then you go on a little bit more. And that's what we do in conversations is our brains are generating where we might jump in next. And so a lot of this, um, a lot of the experts on listening talk about double listening. So you listen to the other person and you listen to what's going on in your head and you stand a little bit back from what's going on in your head and you go, oh, that topic's there. Okay. Is it wise? for me to jump in with that topic? Oh, probably not, because the other person is still on a roll. Probably better for me to let them go. Okay, then another topic comes to mind, and the other person's still talking, and you can see that they're feeling sad. And you think, oh, I've got a great sadness story I could tell. No. Instead, you say, oh, you look sad right now. Tell me about that, so that you're keeping the focus on the other person which is obviously a listening skill. So kind of reflecting back what you're seeing or hearing from the other person. But that idea that we are listening to the other person and we're listening to our own brains, the inner noise in our brains at the same time, double listening. Well, then, so I came across an article that was talking about Christians doing double listening, but that was completely different. That was listening to the other person and listening to what God wants us to say to the other person or not say. So I decided oh really triple <laughs> listening. So really, as to be a good listener is to listen to the other person, listen to all the stuff going through our brains that we might say next, and listen to God's guidance. So it might be, oh, that's my story about sadness that I have. Oh, would it be right for me to tell that? Oh, what do you think, God? Mm, no. I mean, all this happens really fast, of course. Um but that triple listening that Christians are called to do is really challenging. And so I guess I just want to say we can work on it. And for as you were saying, Sarah, in your question, for those of you listening to the podcast who are carers of parents of kids with special needs or your grandparents or your people in ministry, um, yeah, you can really work on listening skills, but you know, the parents can work on the listening skills too with children. So all of us can grow and grow in listening. And I'll tell you one other really funny thing about this book that I wrote 10 years ago. 
the people who were most enthusiastic about it of my circle of, you know, friends and acquaintances were all the people who I view as the very best listeners I know. And they all said, I've got so much to learn about listening. Thank you for, you know, laying out stuff about listening. And I'm just like, isn't that fascinating that they're aware that they work hard on being a good listener, but they're aware that they have a ways to go. So all of us have a ways to go. So we can light again, lighten up, do our best, really try. And when somebody is telling that story and we jump in with our own story because we just can't bear not to say it, we can kind of laugh at ourselves and say, see, I need to grow a little bit more listening too. Yeah, no, you're right. It is, it is definitely not easy. It should it seems like it should be. It seems like Why? it should. Well, I don't know. Yeah. I guess maybe I mean, grieving and gratitude should seem easy. Maybe it all seems like it should be easy, but it's yeah. <laughs> I wonder if we think that it should be easy because we have a view of conversation, which is you tell a story and I tell a story and you tell a story mm-hmm. and I tell a story. And those, those kind of conversations are really fun. You know, I right. mean, those are those easygoing, relaxed conversations where nobody's in particular need and, you know, um, it's all fun. But right. um, yeah, I, I just think it's a challenge to be around people who are hurting. And it's a challenge when we're hurting to know how much to talk about it and how much not to talk about it in the various settings of our lives. Um, you know, we talk about America being a death denying culture. I just think we're also a pain denying culture. And so we all think life's supposed to be upbeat and cheerful all the time. So that that's what you're doing in the podcast. And that's what you've done so well in your recent book too. How do we navigate some of this pain? Thank you. And it is, and it is navigating it. And I think that that is one of the things that I loved about this book is it's not setting it aside. It's not like you said, it's, it's, it's holding those two emotions. It's, it's holding the emotions and it, it's not, let's just wrap it up in a neat package and toss it aside. And we'll just pick it up later whenever we have time for it. It's, it's there. Let's give it to God. Let's set in it. Let's sit in that space and it's going to be uncomfortable, but let's give that to God because he's going to help us work through that. And um, I've, I've spoken before, whenever I first was handed my son's diagnosis, being a Christian my whole life, I was very angry and I didn't think I should be. So I didn't share it with anybody. I didn't even share it with God, which is ironic because of course he knew, but I didn't even want to talk to him about it. I had my little, I just hid my Bible and went about my business, but um, it wasn't until I finally told him, I am so angry with you. And it was that point that I started to heal, but it's when you give that to and start to work through that. And that's what I love about that. This book of yours is it's the permission to feel the emotions that God gave you. <laughs> ah, but we don't think that God gave them to us. Right. We think something's wrong with us when we're sad or angry. Yeah, right. let, let me say a word about anger as well. And if sadness is hard to express publicly uh, in Christian circles, then I think anger is even harder to express. And you're probably mostly all familiar with those stages of grief by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. One of those stages is anger. Anger is a part of grief. Anger is just anger, um, especially for Christian women, because, you know, we're supposed to be nice and um, we're just not supposed to feel it or express it. 
a lot of us turn our anger inwards. I can speak for myself. I have really, really feel blessed that I have healed from binge eating disorder, but binge eating was a huge part of my life um, in my the first two thirds of my adult life because I didn't know what to do with all these emotions I had, you know, my family of origin, it was all upbeat, cheerful. I didn't know what to do with the anger. I didn't know what to do with the pain. And so I really do think that there's a whole lot of cookies that went down the hatch um, that went, went, you know, through my mouth and esophagus and stomach and intestines, because I was angry about things, whole lot of cookies were connected with anger. And so Part of the healing has been to not need to turn that anger inwards of something's wrong with me because I'm feeling angry. Oh, better eat a cookie to feel better about it, you know? So um, this relates to all of us learning how to feel anger ourselves, but also all of us learning how to listen to people who are angry. When people who are angry, to be able to say, you sound angry about that. You sound upset. Mm. Oh, if I'd experienced that, I'd feel angry too. Oh, tell me more about how you're feeling. Oh, gosh, I'm really sad that these emotions have been so intense for you. Tell me more about them. I mean, Christian women. I mean, we're supposed to be good. We're supposed to be nice, painful. Yes. Yeah. One of the things that you've said throughout the book and just even here is it's a mission of ours here at Take Heart is community. And I know you haven't used that word, but you talk in your book too about finding helpful friends and family to help us grieve and find and navigate those those honest emotions and in that just to help draw those out and explore those emotions. Um, and there's an intentionality about it. Like you, you use the word learn and it's a learning process and it's a continuous process. And it's fair to say that are you, you're still learning it. Oh my gosh. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah. I just, I can't get over it. So I turned 70 last summer. It was a real landmark birthday for me for a whole lot of reasons. Actually very happy about turning 70, which is crazy. I don't know where that came from, but hey, just try to enjoy it, you know? But yeah, it's remarkable to be 70 and to think, oh wow, I'm still learning this. I'm still learning that. I'll tell you one thing I'm learning um, right now is with the different friends that I have, what part of my inner world they are interested in and how long they are interested in it. So like my brother and I are really close. He's always been um, a confidant for me. I'm so blessed to have a brother like that. And um, yet he's happy to listen to me talk about what I'm thinking about or struggling with briefly, not a long period of time, briefly. Okay, so I try to take advantage of that. I'm trying to learn from him, what he wants in conversation, you know, I'm not going to shut up about what's going on, because he has a limited time that he really, you know, is comfortable listening to that fine. So I have other friends who I can really talk pretty much endlessly with about struggles. Well, I have one friend like that. I have another friend who who's definitely willing to listen to my struggles. Again, I think it's in the range of maybe 15 or 20 minutes or possibly 30, but not endlessly. And so kind of, I mean, and I think this is really hard 
for your moms and dads who are in such pain because they really need places where they can talk about it endlessly. But Mm -hmm. if somebody in their life is willing to listen for 15 minutes, well, that is a huge blessing. And so I I know this is only a portion of the question you were asking, but one of the things I think is learning where the settings are where we can talk, and then how much and how long we can talk. And also, can we find the emotional strength to listen for the same amount of time to the other person's struggles, whatever those happen to be? Um, It's really, really, really hard when you're deep in pain to listen to the other person. But many friendships are completely reciprocal. And so, you know, for these various friends I'm mentioning and my brother, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, I want to listen, you know, somewhat the amount of time that I talked. Let me just say one more thing. I'm sure that you have moments when you encourage therapy for your um, Mm -hmm. listeners and readers. Um, I don't know how, how many people in your tradition would be familiar with a spiritual director, but Mm -hmm. spiritual directors are people who listen to you talk about where God is in the midst of what's going on. And so I'm now, let's see, 25 years I've had a, had a spiritual director, but not the same one because my first one retired, my second one we moved away, and that was you know before Zoom. And then my third one, it couldn't see me anymore. And now, so now I'm on my fourth one. But um, yeah, I recently nagged my husband, that's really the only word for it, into <laughs> uh, starting to see a spiritual director. And he's like, you know, I've got you, I've got a couple really good men friends, I don't need to talk about this stuff, you know, but so he's seen a spiritual director, maybe six or eight times, and she has really helped him identify where is God as he deals with the decline that comes from his chronic lung disease? Where is God is the central question in spiritual direction. And A lot of times, Christian friends can be mutual spiritual directors to each other. Those would be called soul friends. And, you know, some of um, some of your listeners may have a soul friend where they each help each other figure out where God is. But I really think um, spiritual direction is a cool thing. So you can look online. There's networks where they identify where spiritual directors are and now that there's Zoom, you don't even have to find one in your area. You know, my spiritual director actually moved away from Seattle. And so I now have spiritual direction with someone in Spokane, Washington. She's not even physically here anymore. You know? mm. So anyhow. That's a great recommendation. Thank you. That's wonderful. We actually, uh, we had a podcast in March about, we had a series about therapy um, because it is something that I think is so overlooked. Um, There's always more to say, Sarah. Thank you so much for inviting me on and for all your kind words about this book of mine. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much again. And um, I really, if you will just pray us out. um, You also, I just wanted to again mention for all of our listeners that you write a weekly blog. You write specifically about prayers and it is about praying. And um, it, it has been something I look forward to getting in my inbox every week. So thank you for that as well. That's so cool. Let me spell my name for your listeners who don't want to look at the show notes. Absolutely. um, If you can spell my name, you can get to my website, no problem. (laughs) So I have unusual spelling of Lynn, L-Y-N-N-E, 
And my last name rhymes with Saab Cars. So it has a B at the beginning, B-A-A-B. So my website is just lynnbob.com, but you really got to know how to spell both the first name and the last name. So let me pray for all of you. Lord, there are listeners who are grandparents of kids who they worry about. There are listeners who are aunts and uncles and caregivers and moms and dads and other relatives and friends and neighbors. There are listeners who minister to families that that have challenges. And Lord, we just want to pray for everybody. We pray that you would enable us to be better listeners to those in our lives who are hurting. We pray for those who are hurting, that you would help them to know that you are right there, right there in everything we do, because I'm struggling too, like everybody else in the world. You are right there with us, Lord, and you are listening to what we say. You are receiving our smiles when we turn and smile at you. We pray that you would use Sarah's ministry to strengthen families who need your help. And we pray for Amy and Carrie also. Lord, we pray that their book would bear great fruit, and we pray that this podcast also would be so helpful. Lord, will you bless their ministry, and will you bless the families to whom they minister? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Again, the title of Lynn's book, well, the main one we were discussing on this episode today, is titled Two Hands, Grief and Gratitude and the Christian Life. You can find Lynn on lynnbob.com. That is L-Y-N-N-E-B-A-A-B.com. Y'all, let's show Lynn some love. Please make sure to check out her blog and her books and all of the articles. You will not regret it. Also, like and share this episode. It helps us know what is resonating with you. As I said earlier, everything we mentioned will be linked in our show notes. Be sure you are following TakeHeartSpecialMoms.com for resources, tips, and inspiration. You can also find us at TakeHeartSpecialMoms on Instagram and Facebook. We love it when you connect with us there. And also jump into our DMs or email us at TakeHeartSpecialMoms at gmail.com. We really love to hear from you. 